Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally on the community radio network around Australia. I'm your host, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and today we're welcoming to the microphone David Jonovicus. No, I got it wrong. <laughs> Jonovicus. David Jonovicus, a subject matter expert and tax specialist from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia, formerly Tax and Super Australia. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Ray. Good to uh, be here. Now, just to, uh, as a little bit of background, we have a lot of IFPA specialists come and chat to us. We've had Natasha and Neville and uh, and Frank were, has been on the show just recently. Can you give the listeners a bit of a background of you know where you've come from, how, how you ended up at IFPA, and, uh, and, and I guess your specialty? Yeah, no problems. Uh, I've been with IFPA for uh, just on 18 months now. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I'd, I'd come through uh, a variety of uh, small, uh, right through to uh, large big four firms uh, specialising in tax. Uh, and yeah, it just seemed like a natural progression to uh, join up with IFPA, where I could uh, devote myself 100% to tax uh, and tax advice for members of the organisation. Now, you hit me with a bit of interesting information that um, by the time this goes to broadcast, you most likely won't be with it, but you're actually moving on, aren't you? Uh, that is correct. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of those too good to refuse uh, offers came along, uh, something that had been on my uh, job list for a while, and that uh, might make a few of the listeners laugh, but heading uh, to uh, the Australian Taxation Office. Yes, the evil empire. You're going to headquarters. Uh, so we, we joked about that, ladies and gentlemen, off air. But I, I, I must admit, I, I think some time at, at Mothership is probably a good thing that gives you, uh, I guess, a, a certain string to your bow as your career progresses, wouldn't you say? Yeah, pretty much. That was uh, one of the key reasons. But, uh, yeah, uh, obviously the opportunity, I suppose, to work right at the coalface uh, with my first love tax uh, is, uh, yeah, just a, a good opportunity. And uh, But having said that, I'll uh, no doubt still be in touch with the uh, the team at IFPA and uh, hopefully at some point I may end up returning. So there's a statement you won't hear often, ladies and gentlemen, my first love tax, okay? I, I'm <laughs> going to put that one down in my, uh, in my blog as one to remember as we go forward. But thanks for that. I'm sure Natasha and Kai at IFPA will love, uh, love uh, hearing that, I'm sure, in the recording. <laughs> so, look, the reason we've got you along today, uh, David, is we're going to be talking about uh, private company benefits and Division 7A dividends. Now, that sounds a bit of a mouthful, but in essence, uh, for the listeners, uh, if you can encapsulate that into some common English, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so I looked at, to break it down to its simplest, um, I think we're a lot of, uh, particularly mum and dad, uh, Operators who uh, may have been established in a in a corporate structure by their accountant in small business uh, often don't realise that uh, the company is a separate entity to themselves, and therefore the money and the profits that the company makes uh, belongs to that company until such time as the company deals with that, uh, whether that's paid as wages, a director's fee, or a dividend out to those shareholders. But obviously, in practice, a lot of mum and dads uh, in particular will treat that money as their own. Uh, and there is a section in the Tax Act called Division 7A, 
which is the focus of today, which captures, I suppose, where a shareholder or an associate of a shareholder has taken money from a company that's only been sheltered at the corporate tax rate uh, and forces that shareholder to either or deal with it a number of ways. Uh, one of those ways is to assess that shareholder on a deemed dividend, uh, or there is the alternative of putting it under a, or repaying it, obviously, is, is probably the easiest way, uh, or mm. the other common way uh, is to put it under a, com a, co a complying loan agreement, and the legislation does cover off what, what that actually means and what those requirements are to be complying. See, it's a funny thing when uh, you talk about uh, how you treat money. Uh, one of my very first clients when I became a financial planner a number of years back was a tradie. Lovely guy, was a good tiler, great tiler actually, but an absolutely hopeless bookkeeper. And I had to sit down with him and say, listen, buddy, you know that's not your money. He says, yes, it is. I, I can access the bank account. I can put money in and withdraw any time I like. I said, yeah, I get that. I said, but it doesn't belong to you Actually, it's in the company structure. And he goes, yeah, but I, I I control the company. I said, yes, I get that. And and I guess this mental breakthrough, David, trying to, 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 to breach the chasm to say it's not yours yet. And so, you know, you've got to breach that, that bridge that then says when you pay yourself, you have to pay tax. Oh, right. And so there was this all of a sudden, you, you, I'm sure you've probably had this with when you're talking to people on your, your IFPA hotline and they're asking for advice, the penny drops and they go, oh, right. Oh, is that why you have? Yes. Uh, and so we, we have those discussions. And so I, I guess when I, I read some of the, the notes that you sent to me in preparation for today's chat, Division Part A, uh, Division 7A is part of the Income Tax Assessment Act dating back to 1936, ladies and gentlemen, goes back a long way. And it's intended to prevent profits or assets being provided to shareholders or their associates tax-free. Now, I think that's an interesting discussion point there alone, David. Talk about associates a little bit so that people understand what that is. I think people get a good idea what a shareholder is, but in the terms of the tax code and 7A, what's an associate? Very, very broad. <laughs> For anyone who's uh, ever worked in tax or, or looked at the Tax Act in any way, the term associate uh, is bandied about, obviously, in many areas uh, and in almost on almost all occasions, uh, it's referenced back to what's known as a Section 318 associate, which is just the section reference in that 1936 Act. Uh, and when we're talking individuals, for example, we are talking uh, relatives of that individual, they can they can be the spouse, children. Um, we're talking about if that uh, individual has a controlling interest or can significantly influence another company, then that'll bring that company into the net. And mm -hmm. in terms of trusts, if they if if they can and do benefit uh, as a beneficiary under a trust, well, that trust will also be an associate of them. And that is by no means uh, covering all bases. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So. In, in most cases, the, the answer is usually if you can think of somebody, they will generally be an associate uh, unless you can show under the legislation that they're not. 
And I guess for those of you that are out there listening to this and you might ponder, spouses or people of equal distinction, and I will let your mind roam wherever your mind decides to roam in that regard, that I'm sure the tax office and the tax commissioner would look very dimly where you say, but that person's not my wife or husband, but um, your carryings on would suggest otherwise. And we will leave it at that. I know this is a family show, but let's keep on moving. So we know what a shareholder is. And we certainly know in that regard that an associate is a fairly broad interpretation uh, by yeah. the commissioner. But but I guess what we're really talking about is when people start using company money and company assets for things that aren't company related. I, I guess that's in essence what we're talking about here, aren't we? 100%. So, I mean, at its most simple, uh, many people will, or the, the easiest way to look at it is the simple case of drawing a loan from the company uh, or the company paying some sort of private expense of yours on your behalf. Uh, in either of those cases, the legislation captures that straight away. Perhaps the one that people may not think about as much is where the company may provide the use of an asset that it owns. Uh, and that, that can range from property through to uh, uh, a boat uh, or anything in between, pretty pretty much any asset, um, to a shareholder or the associate, and that shareholder and associate doesn't pay uh, for that use effectively. But that's different, for example, if you provide an employee a company car, because that's FBT then. We're talking fringe benefits tax. Correct. But we're now talking so, about shareholders and their relationship with the company is very different to that of, as say, a paid employee, isn't it? That's correct. So in, in some cases, obviously, where uh, shareholders are also working directors or working employees in the company, there, there will be a crossover point. Uh, and... Ultimately, it does need to be looked at on some occasions whether that benefit is being provided because you're an employee, in which case it'll generally be captured by fringe benefits tax, uh, or if it's being provided because you're the shareholder, the controller of the company, then essentially Division 7A will be there to capture it. There is actually an ordering in the provision, and Division 7A does override FBT in that regard. Yeah, I guess it's one of those, I always like to think simply, I'm an ex-army person, KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and I always like the term a reasonable person would think. And I guess I look at this these provisions and having read the 7A, the Division 7A notes that you sent through to me, David, I look at this and think to myself, it's reasonably common sense. I mean, anybody that runs a company, uh, there aren't too many people that are going to step up and go, oh, gee, sorry, Mr. Tax Commissioner, I didn't realise. I just sit there and go, yeah, of course you did. Come on, you knew you're, you're jimmying the, the system here because when you're talking about payments and other effect, benefits affected, I'm just going to read directly from the notes here. It says private use of company assets, transfer of company assets, gifts, loans, other forms of credit, writing off or forgiving a debt, guarantees, payments of loans by a trust, payments and loans through interposed entities. I mean, it's a pretty wide-ranging thing that says, hey, guys, if you're doing this for anything other than company reasons, it's 7A. I mean, that's a fairly reasonable assessment, don't you think, David? Yeah, I think I think that's a fair way to look at it. Ultimately, uh, it's usually quite simple uh, when, when we're talking about, you know, a mum and dad company where there may just be one company in the group. But uh, th th these days, for asset protection reasons and the like, even smaller uh, enterprises may 
divide their operations up into multiple companies. And that's perhaps where uh, it's easy to get uh, lose sight of some of the issues where money is transferred around the group and uh, money may be extracted from different companies at different times. So yes, ultimately, uh, as, as a shareholder, uh, you do need to keep an eye on the fact that uh, you shouldn't just be taking money from any entity in the group whenever you feel like it. I think you really do need to manage that process uh, to avoid problems when it comes time to the end of the year and a, a stern phone call from your accountant uh, trying to sort <laughs> this out uh, after, uh, after the end of the year. Well, look, it's just about time for a break here on Dollars and Making Sense. And look, when we come back, David, we're going to talk about complying loans and what that means. And I think resources that uh, people should be able to go and look at, uh, not just within IFPA, but generally out and about in the big wide world. So you're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised, licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback, and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly show about money, finance and investing. I'm your host, Ray Trevison. And at the microphone today, I have David Jonavikius, a subject matter expert on tax from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia. So, David, when we were chatting during the break, we were talking a little bit about the kind of things that constitute, I guess, what is a benefit to, to a private from a company. And I guess we're going to talk about now really get into the meat and potatoes around you know, what you do to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, avoid getting trapped by Division A type things. And one of the things that I read there that comes through over and over and over is a complying loan. So let's delve a little bit deeper into that. So what is a complying loan and how would somebody set something like that up? Yeah, so in, in, in the circumstance where the shareholder, for example, has taken out a lump sum of cash during the year uh, and has used that money for, for whatever purpose outside of the company uh, and therefore doesn't have the ability to repay that loan, which, as I said, was uh, perhaps the easiest way to avoid the uh, the consequences of Div 7A. Uh, the, the, the most common occurrence is, and your accountant will always be going on about this, which is to set up what is called a complying uh, loan agreement under Division 7A. And effectively, what that does is it, it, there are a few basic requirements, uh, which any accountant will generally be over. Um, in terms of what, what that uh, written agreement needs, but it uh, sets up that loan to be repaid principal and interest over seven years uh, at a what's called a benchmark interest rate, which 
does change each year, and it's uh, reference to a Reserve Bank uh, home loan indicator rate. Uh, so, unfortunately, the cost of uh, a Division 7A loan has gone up substantially in the last 12 months, that's for sure. Uh, and as long as you make a minimum payment, and there is a formula in the legislation, uh, but it's effectively yeah, just the seven-year P&I loan, as long as you make that minimum payment each by 30th of June each year into the company, and the company declares that interest component, uh, then effectively Division 7A won't deem a dividend to have been paid to that individual. So you have the opportunity to, to repay. So if I'm thinking out aloud, given uh, and because I run a fund that uh, my life and day is around interest rates, and so when you're buying and selling money, and we've had, uh, again, you've rightly said, we've had a lot of interest rate fluctuations in the wrong direction, I guess, from many people. Uh, What that also means, though, is that because this rate, this benchmark's rate only gets adjusted once a year, that would actually present directors and shareholders an actual opportunity to be able to draw funds from a company at a reduced interest rate uh, fully legally and it not incur uh, a potential liability. Am I correct in saying that? There certainly are opportunities to time it. Uh, that, that, that is a, so that interest rate does float uh, throughout the life of the seven-year loan. It's not a, not a fixed scenario. Uh, so unfortunately, it is variable. But uh, what it has meant is that... Uh, a loan in the current year. The legislation references that uh, reserve bank indicator rate, uh, which is, as I said, the uh, home loan variable rate, uh, which may not equate to the rate that you're paying on your own home loan, but uh, it's the one that the RBA uses as an indicator. Uh, and yeah, you, you, you can certainly, I mean, if for whatever reason you wanted to pay a higher interest rate to your own company, there's no problem with that. You just can't be under that rate. No, that that makes sense. So there's minimum. So your accountant would have all of this at her or his fingertips and be able to, I guess, uh, readily set that kind of thing up. And uh, I guess in your experience, David, is this something that you see happen a lot? I, and the reason I ask that question, let me be specific, is that, I mean, I've operated my own company now for twenty plus years. I've never loaned myself money. And the reason being is exactly this kind of thing that I don't want to mix my private money with my company money. Now, every time I see people doing that, for me, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, there's opportunity to potentially work the system, you know, if you are moving reasonable amounts of money and you can hedge against an interest rate movement. But from what you're saying, though, it tends to be, People either A, don't understand the legislation properly and think that that's their money, or B, they're just plain stupid and, or they're being nefarious and by, by design and going, oh, ooh, you, you mean I can't do that? And looking very innocently with you know, fingers under their, their chins going, who, me? Um, or Is that thing? Because, I mean, I would not necessarily sit there and go, hey, I'm going to lend myself money out of my company account. It doesn't make sense to me day by day. Yeah, look, I think there are there are generally two common scenarios that you that uh, are encountered in practice. Uh, one is where money is just taken whenever a director shareholder feels like they're short of money and grab the uh, grabs the company checkbook out and write writes from there instead of their own account because there's surplus cash. 
in the company. In those scenarios where I guess it's a day-to-day living expense and it's happening on an ad hoc but regular basis, uh, often the, the better way to handle that scenario is to simply have the company pay that out, whether it's as wages or a dividend at the end of the year, because mm-hmm. invariably that's just going to be a pattern that keeps on repeating. Um, perhaps where Division 7A and particularly the complying loan agreement scenario becomes more valuable uh is where, for example, your company has been, you know, has had a successful period, has built up a, uh, you know, a substantial bank of profits that uh, it may have surplus cash floating around. Uh, you don't necessarily want to extract extract it yourself uh, and pay top up tax at this point in time uh, in one hit uh, because your personal rate might be might be on the top marginal rate. So there is an opportunity, for example, you. Uh, now, you may, for example, have an investment in mind. Um, obviously, property is the usual favourite of most people. So, mm-hmm. for example, you may pay whether that's the deposit for an investment property or, in fact, you may have enough cash available to simply go out and buy an investment property in full. Uh, you've then got, I suppose, the opportunity, instead of relying on the banks for finance, you can actually effectively treat your own company mm. as the that's finance. That's a good idea. Uh, yeah. At the moment, uh, as I said, a standard complying loan is seven years. So obviously, depending on how much you take out, that can result in some fairly hefty repayments on an annual basis. Um, Mm -hmm. As the law stands today, and I might come back to that point in a moment, but uh, there is also the opportunity of securing by a registered mortgage um, that Division 7A loan against property. Uh, And as long as it's... is secured to at least 100, I think the number is 110% of the value of the loan. Uh, That's with correct. Property, th- yep. Then uh, you can actually put, extend that out to a 25-year Division 7A loan, which yeah. for many people will effectively be much like a uh, standard home mortgage. Yeah, and I must admit that caught my eye when I saw that. I went, oh, wow, 110% financing with an asset. But again, you are doing it against yourself. So, um, you know, if, if you bail out, you're bailing out on yourself. <laughs> and so I guess it's one of those, those interesting factors. I, I must say, um, in many of the shows I've done uh, over the last four years, David, uh, I've read far too many stories where their uh, company uh, profits are rated uh, on a regular basis. And my immediate thinking is gambling. Uh, and people that are raiding the corporate account because they've got a a habit that can't be sustained through their own personal assets. And I've read horror stories. I I guess you'd see the same as well? Yeah, I think, as I said, you can distinguish. I mean, there are the most common scenarios where it simply is used as a personal bank account, and whether that is just for the day-to-day expenses or, unfortunately, for, for addictions or needs and things like that. And Absolutely, over my years in practice, unfortunately, uh, I've I've seen people fall into that trap. Unfortunately, the tax law looks straight through that. Uh, there there is no concession or anything like that for an individual. Uh, the the D- Division Seven A will still apply and and treat that either as a dividend in the year that you take the money out, um, or uh, you can obviously repay or put on a complying loan. 
Yes, I don't think the casino uh, gets that much favour, uh, any deference to the commissioner, I think, in those considerations. Now, again, referring back to your, your um, supporting notes, there are also uh, ways and means of calculating those assets, the transfers, and I guess in the in the interests of time today, I think the best thing, one of the things that I like to do in our in our discussions on dollars and making sense is provide resources and a next step for people to really latch onto. Because when we're starting to look at the transfer of assets, I think there's a, we, we're starting to get into some complexity there. But the use of assets also uh, comes under Division 7A and must be considered. So uh, that's something maybe for another time. But, um, David, one of the things I think uh, in finishing up our discussion today if people out there are curious and they they are in a bit of a mess, and we talked about this before we came on air, the ATO is a generally good bunch of people to deal with if you're on the front foot. So if you've got Division A questions or you're not sure, where's a good place to start? Yeah, I think, look, uh, like like with many areas of the tax law, the, uh, the tax office does have some very good... Uh, uh, information up on its uh, website, which does go into quite a good amount of detail for common scenarios and uh, also, as you noted, the uh, methodology of uh, calculating the repayments and the like. Again, obviously, if you're in business, you most likely have an accountant. Um, if your accountant is not aware of Division 7A, and unfortunately they are out there, uh, that's probably a good tip to find a new accountant. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> say find a new um, accountant, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, Get in they, touch they, with IFPA, ladies and gentlemen. Get in yeah. touch with IFPA because they know where, where all the tax agents are. That's right. Uh, but yeah, look, shameless uh, we, plug. Uh, there. That that was the shameless plug, by the way. I will we, we'll take that. Uh, we certainly have some resources on our own page, but uh, yeah, I, I think look, ultimately, there's there's plenty of. Uh, commercial providers, uh, accountants, and and lawyers out there who'll have published plenty of data on it. But in all, in all honesty, for the for a basic rundown, uh, without avoiding hitting up the 1936 Act and all the sections that make up Division 7A, uh, where it does get quite wordy and technical, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the uh, tax office website would be probably the best place to uh, to visit, uh, or sit down and have a chat with your accountant if you're not clear on what's happening with your company advice david great advice and so ladies and gentlemen other things that you might want to consider when you have that conversation also comes around fringe benefits tax it comes around imputation withholding tax family law settlements so all of these things get tied up i guess and i think one of the things i like the best um it says here under this heading avoiding issues in the first place I think that's really sage advice, don't you, David? There's some very good pointers under there, and I think it's always a case of uh, trying to avoid the problem rather than dealing with it in hindsight. So, yes, if you're a uh, an investor or a business operator with a company and any of this has uh, caused any alarm or any red flags for you, definitely just look into it. Uh, and make sure that uh, you are compliant because, yes, the uh, the outcomes, if you're not compliant, uh, can be quite nasty. And look, so thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the Community Radio Network around Australia. We welcome questions and your feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite search engine, David from IFPA. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Ray. Wonderful. And until next week, ladies and gentlemen, it's adios. Adios.